0: Over the last couple of decades, I've had the opportunity to meet some amazing people. One of my favorites is our guest today. He is Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller from the Marine Corps Reserves. He's a phenomenal individual. He right now is the Director of Infrastructure Security at the Center for Security Policy. Tremendous man, he's got a wealth of knowledge. We've talked to him before about the grid. We're gonna talk today about food security. So I welcome Tommy Waller to the economic war room.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kevin, for having me here. Yes, yeah, so the, the Center for Security Policies, of course, been interested in infrastructure security since the inception. And you and I both have worked together on, uh, on a number of things, including the security electric grid. Right. But I'll tell you, just in the last six months, it's become clear that we need to do a deep dive on food, on food security. And so one of the things that we're producing right now is a report titled, Food Security is National Security. Stop a second, Food Security is National Security. I
0: agree with you 100%, uh, and we had Ross Kennedy in the economic war room a couple of weeks ago, but most people in Washington don't understand that. We take our food supply for granted. Tell me, what are you finding?
1: Sure, it's actually very similar to, you know, when we talk about the electric grid, we take for granted the fact that we can flip the switch on and the lights come on, right? And we forget that there's this huge system that makes that possible. It's very similar with respect to food. You know, 2% of our population actually farms, right? And is is producing the food that 98% of our population consumes. And depends on. Absolutely. It's a life. life or death issue. Life or death. Survival. And so often we, we take for granted both the people who do that food production and all of the complex systems that undergird it from its production to its transportation to its distribution to our consumption. And it's a massively complicated, it's a blessing that we have this system, Absolutely. but there's a lot of vulnerabilities to it. Yeah,
0: well, and as people are finding out when they look for baby formula and it's not on the shelves, you can have one glitch in the supply chain and it means that there's not food available. That's it.
1: And right now, there's a huge glitch when you look at uh, you know, Russia invading one of the, the, the world's largest breadbaskets of Ukraine. Uh, just recently, in fact, uh, it's, it's obvious that Vladimir Putin is using food as a weapon, uh, having recently destroyed the third largest grain terminal, um, a place where grain is stored and where it's exported via ship uh, in Ukraine. That makes it uh, clear that he's gonna be holding hostage, a resource that people need for their survival uh, for the rest of the world. And that's something that we have to take notice of.
0: Yeah, you know, we have, uh, I I did a study of this for the Pentagon. The reality of it is, is that the number one thing you can do to disrupt a a society is remove food. That's where we had the Arab Spring, came from food shortages. Uh, And if you wanna cause people to go nuts and go crazy, take away food for their family and that will cause
1: anyone uh, to go do
0: whatever necessary to get that food. That's absolutely
1: right. Yeah, you know, Henry, Henry Kissinger said, you control the food, you control the people. You control the energy, you control nations, you control money, you control the world. And so what you're gonna see, the downstream effects of what's happening in Ukraine uh, are most immediately gonna hurt uh, the Middle East, North Africa and Europe and especially those countries that they depend on food imports because they can't produce it themselves. I mean, that's where we really need uh, to, to have a lot of prayer, as much support as we can to get ahead of that famine. But the second and third order effects of this kinetic warfare against food infrastructure globally uh, is gonna, it's gonna affect the world. Because as you mentioned, when you have scarcity of food, you have conflict, you have migration. And so Europe's gonna feel it first, Uh, But we're not going to escape that ourselves.
0: Yeah, no, Ross made that point. We we may feel it first in higher prices. Uh, Hopefully we never feel it where people are starving to death. But this is a global issue, and it's a part of an ongoing global economic war that we're facing, and Putin knows it's a weapon. Where are are some examples where you see uh, the, the weapon
1: being manifest? So when you talk about warfare, right, um, of course, we have economic warfare, and that's something that I, I know you, you cover it every day. Um, we talked a little bit about the kinetic war. There's also cyber warfare. We saw uh, Malwarebytes lab Laboratory reported that between 2019-2020, a 607% increase in malware attacks against the food and agriculture sector. Now, every other sector that they observed, the, the most they had was about a 60% increase, 607%. So, you see in, in recent FBI bulletins, uh, the FBI actually did a great film uh, called Made in Beijing that talked about uh, communist China and their pursuit of economic dominance. And they had a case study there uh, where uh, Bayer Crop Science uh, discovered, with the FBI's help, Chinese spies uh, targeting their seed science. And so it's a full range of both cyber espionage, economic warfare, and now Kevin, I, what I, I also worry about uh, is sabotage. you know um, I'm sure you, you all talked about it on your segment with Ross Kennedy um, that the fact that we've had I'm counting now yep. thirty major fires in the last sixteen months, uh, and you know it's important to note that this, this is not necessarily a surprise that the food sector has fires, right? Food is fuel. We eat it, it's fuel for us. Right. It therefore burns easily. And so the National Fire Protection Association uh, has said, you know, 2019, there was 2,000 fires across the whole sector, right? Okay. They wrote an article. Uh, the title of it was, there's nothing to see here. Um, but thank goodness we're paying attention to it now because we can't afford, when we have all these other things affecting the food supply, we can't afford to have major headquarters burning to the ground, major storage facilities in this country. And so far, like I said, over the last 16 months, we've had at least 30. So 30 major ones. Right. And we, it, we're not counting the small ones. Those are ones that made the news. They made the news. Exactly. Right. I mean, if it makes and the news. And then we have
0: planes flying <laughs> into facilities. It's, you know, it,
1: it, it does get a little eerie. Right. And so it's something that we have to pay attention to. We just, we can't afford... We can't afford to lose this infrastructure. America's not, we, we talked before about 2% of the population produces the food. Americans by and large, just like they take for granted electricity, they take for granted the fact that they can go to the grocery store. You saw it in Texas last year during the winter storm. Shelves were empty, right? Um, and so the average American makes 1.6 visits to the grocery store every week, mm. okay? okay? And so what does that tell you? It tells you that they don't have much stored in the pantry. The average American consumes five and a half pounds of food per day. You push that out over a year, that's over 2,000 pounds of food. And so when you think about a population of 330 million people and how many pounds of food it would take to feed them for a duration, our national, you know, we have a strategic national stockpile that used to contain food. It doesn't anymore. Wow. And so we're just, we as Americans by and large are unprepared to go without it. Wow. We're going to have to take a break.
0: When we come back, we're going to dive deeper with Tommy Waller, not only in the problem, but also what can we do about it? So, Tommy, you were telling us we used to have a national pantry of food, but we don't have that anymore. What's happened?
1: We don't. No, it just hasn't been a priority. And, and Kevin, part of this is that our nation has been blessed that we are a breadbasket for the world. So we've kind of taken for granted um, as a leader in food and agriculture, we've taken for granted the need for our own populace to be prepared. Um, and you even see it now where institutions that would normally be there to help the poor in this, in this country are unable to meet the demands just because of inflation, right? I mean, you, as an economic expert, um, I, I know that, that you can tell us all the reasons why, but if people don't have enough money in their own pocketbook, To donate to the local food pantry now the local churches can't support the population right right? and then you know if if people are not in a in a position where they can stock up themselves uh, then of course they're worse off so it's a situation where we need to recognize that there are significant vulnerabilities in this food system we need to be ready to prepare ourselves and we need to be ready to help others when we can right because I mean at the end of the day, what goes around comes around and our generosity will, will you know.
0: That's a part of an important part of our foreign policy. It is. Is providing food and, and it's also a weapon of war as Vladimir Putin has acknowledged. Now, uh, during COVID, we had Mitzi Purdue on and I know you actually introduced me to Mitzi and she's a great lady, uh, phenomenal. And she was talking about COVID and one of the implications of COVID was the potential damage to our, our food policy. Uh, just like COVID is causing, uh, it's part of the inflation that we're facing, part of the budget debt that we're facing, all of these issues that are, that are second order effects from COVID. You were recently with Mitzi, what did you learn?
1: Yeah, I, it was such a privilege, uh, Kevin. Yesterday, I uh, had the opportunity to go and meet with uh, Ms. Mitzi Purdue and the American AgriWomen. And so there was these uh, women in agriculture from all around the country who are getting together to talk about this issue of food security. Uh, and so what I learned, I mean, I learned a lot, right? Everything from our immigration policy uh, being so important where we, we have to make sure that we have enough labor uh, for the, the, um, the food to be produced in the fields, uh, all the way to, you know, the, the different programs that sometimes the government will subsidize things for, you know, what they're saying is environmentally friendly, particularly right now where they, they talk about a, quote, climate crisis. So you have situations where the government... Is incentivizing farmers to not farm and produce food in certain portions of land when at a moment we need to be producing more food so it's our
0: tax dollars are literally paying and that's been true you know since the 1930s because we had too much food in certain circumstances but our tax dollars are paying farmers to plow things
1: under so certainly farmers plowed things under when they had nowhere to go with it during covid right right now we see an expansion of things like the these conservation programs crp land for example where a farmer is able to get paid to not farm certain acreage now is it good for the honeybees and the environment to have a certain amount of that farm uh, that land unfarmed and uncultivated yes but you don't expand th- those programs at a time when you know That you're gonna have food shortages exactly and that and so that's a problem we discussed it and you know one of the things that was amazing about that that group their their slogan uh, is that they are a force for truth and so it was so refreshing um, to be in their presence to hear the truth about these issues and to be able to see that they were in Washington DC where they're gonna be talking to their elected officials to make sure that they get the ground truth from the two percent of our population that are actually producing what it is that we need to survive. That 2% of the population, I remember the Paul Harvey, and we, we aired it before,
0: and God made a farmer. I mean, the, those are true American heroes. Uh, I know you served overseas, but they're serving here at home and they're heroes.
1: Yeah, I'm actually I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I told them, um, when, when I do a discussion about the electric grid, uh, you know, and somebody introduces me as a Marine, uh, I will, always say, look, there's nothing I ever did overseas um, that could actually impact the day-to-day survival of the American people, right? But those who keep the lights on and that 2% that keep us fed, they actually do.
0: Well, I don't wanna minimize your service (laughs) in any way. I'm extremely grateful. I know all of of the economic war room, all of our viewers, all of our our, uh, financial advisors, we're really appreciative. But your point is well taken. Those that are keeping the lights on, those that are keeping food on our table, those that are keeping the economy working, they're heroes too. That's right,
1: that's right. And so uh, that was a great opportunity for me to thank them uh, for their service. And you know, I think the American people need to, to, to really think about how appreciative they need to be to that sector of our, of our um, nation. One of the things that was consistently discussed was the need for food and agriculture for that sector to constantly be in the discussion, in the room, around the table, when we talk about national security, when we talk about economic security. A lot of times they kind of just get left off to the side with this assumption that we're just going to be fine, that we're going to have food when we need it. Uh, And our adversaries know that if they can control the food, as we said before, they can control the people. And that fight is now here on American soil.
0: Uh, you know, the, the biggest problem I had when I was going into D.C. and I was talking is this myth that our congressmen and representatives, senators, uh, and, and really the bureaucracy has that is permanent. It's always guaranteed to be permanent, we're top of the heap and we run and rule everything. Uh, th- that's the same kind of myth the Romans faced. And the, you know, the Roman Empire is gone. All empires die when they start thinking that way. In this case, you're saying food security is national security, and you're writing a report on that. Tell us about that. What, what are some of your findings? Well, you
1: know, just to put it in context, we need to remember that over the last 150 years, while we have experienced in America um, a lot of bountiful prosperity, throughout the world, 128 million people have died of famine wow. in the last 150 years. And how did that happen? Right? In some cases, it happened when you had systems, totalitarian systems, take over a country and use food as a weapon. Right? You look at the Soviet Union and the Ukraine. You look at China and the Communist Party taking over there. Right? And so we have to recognize that those systems still exist on this earth. The Chinese Communist Party, for example, they, they have seen starvation in their own country. There is nothing that that would stop them. You and I both know about unrestricted warfare. Nothing is off the table. And so we have to recognize that uh, those adversaries, the adversaries of freedom, the adversaries of America, they seek our destruction, and this is one way they could do it.
0: Yeah, and it's not just them. Part of the World Economic Forum crowd talks about the term useless eaters. And what do you do with a useless eater? Do you just starve it? We're gonna have to take another break. When we come back, let's talk solutions, and I want to know uh, you know, why you've given your life uh, to promoting liberty in America. Let's talk the beautiful two. So, Tommy, you know, when we first met, we were talking about the risk to our electric grid, and I know you've pioneered that. You've been, for the Center for Security Policy, one of the leading advocates. You've held the coalition together. You've gotten people together talking. Tell us, how does that impact food security?
1: Yeah, Kevin, I mean, so all of that sophisticated food infrastructure depends on electricity. And so if nothing else, if somebody watching this, you know, say that they're a county um, elected official, somebody in a town, somebody in a police department, right, for example, if they could recognize in their region what food infrastructure, how it depends on electricity, and where do they get it from? And I'll give you a case study. I'm not going to tell you where it's at, right? But I know about somewhere close to where I live. Uh, There is an electrical substation that this one substation, it supports a certain brand chicken processing facility, 650,000 chickens a day that are processed over here. Across the street are two of the regional hubs for refrigerated storage and distribution for two separate grocers, right? So think about regional hub, two separate grocery store chains across the street. Right next to them is a massive regional dairy storage facilities, so you got trucks in and out every day, massive refrigeration for dairy products, all tied in to one electrical substation that is completely unguarded, right? And so if you can at least at the local level start to look at what do we have in our region and and where does it get its power from and how how can we protect that, right? That by itself would be one positive step. You you cut out power and you sentence a lot of people to starvation a whole region now struggles with that and so that's where you know the we look at it as a system and and we're going to in in our report we're going to have case studies that's one of course on the relationship between electricity another case study that we'll have is one that we actually got from ross kennedy um, that uh, that that talks about foreign investments in agriculture specifically in land that is in in close proximity to critical defense facilities, so there'll be a wide range of case studies, and then recommendations. Because oh, food supply—I mean, you
0: stop and think about how our food supply is vulnerable. Electricity is one area. Uh, ownership is another area. Another area you mentioned—chicken processing—they're wiping out entire flocks of chicken from one case of bird flu, avian flu, and and so if you wanted. To take down the American food supply, you know, send one infected bird into a flock. Uh, We really are at risk. We don't want to panic anybody because there are solutions for these. Tell us some of the solutions. What can we do uh, to make this a priority and and then to act on it?
1: Sure. The, The biggest thing is anybody making a policy, whether it's federal, state, local level, is to bring the farmers and the food and agriculture people to the table when they begin to talk about Because there's
0: it. no more patriotic people than the American farmers.
1: These, I mean, I cannot tell you how honored I was to be in the presence of the American agri-women. I mean, you can just feel it, their love for this country. Uh, they talked about a lot more than just food, that all the different ways that, that our freedom can be uh, threatened and is threatened. And so yeah, bring the farmers to the table and, and get the specific recommendations from them as you're trying to figure out how to protect them. I, if we could expand from 2%, the number of people who are producing food. So community supported agriculture, where you have, you know, restaurants and local businesses that invest in small farms to be able to harvest food to table, right? There's a, there is a demand for that in the restaurant industry.
0: Oh yeah, you get a premium for that.
1: And so to the extent that at the county level, the local level, you can have businesses getting together, investing in small farms, and then with respect to the regulations that are there to incentivize that and kind of t- to get rid of the red tape that's unnecessary to expedite that local food production, that is probably the biggest, fastest way to make an impact at the local level because uh, it will it provides a certain level of resilience. And then at the personal level, right? I mean, uh, me personally, we, we store food uh, at home. Right. We have chickens and rabbits in a garden, right? right? Not everybody can do that, but if you can, it's worth doing. Well, what if 10 million people added, a 10 million household
0: added a garden? That would actually have an impact. I remember my grandmother growing potatoes and she would grow all different kinds of green beans. I remember snapping the green beans and all that with her. It would make a difference. We used to have a national security aspect to food. We've lost that.
1: Yeah, the Victory Gardens of World War II. I mean, we are in World War III. It's a cognitive war, an information war, an economic war. Is that gonna be that in
0: that your war. report? Are you gonna tell people to get gardens and things like that? We will,
1: yeah, we will. Yeah, I'd all like right, it. Let,
0: Tell me real quick, where do we get a copy of the report you're working on?
1: So when it's done, it's gonna be on the Center for Security Policies website, so securefreedom.org. Uh, and so uh, you know, at, at any point, if somebody went to securefreedom.org and just, if you looked up Tommy Waller as a staff member, all the things that I write are gonna be there. So that will be housed there We'll also make sure that you all have it. Uh, we'll put alert, it in our economic in, in your economic plan. battle plan, yep. yeah, and it'll it'll be there for, for people.
0: Well, Tommy, that's great. I, I want to ask you one one last question for closing. We've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, the flag, and the Constitution. You brought those and set those
1: down on the table. Why? Well, you know, um, I bring them everywhere now, um, and I did before. So, so this this copy of the U.S. Constitution um, was given to me by the parents. Uh, Of one of my Marines um, who who died uh, for us, who died in combat, and and they he was their only child, and he they said, look, you know, never forget what he died for, right? And so when you talk about the good and the beautiful, this is beautiful. This was inspired by God, yes, right? And this is what we are fighting for. And the reason why uh, that I I brought the flag is because that flag uh, was with me everywhere uh, that I deployed. I used to keep it folded uh, in the top of my rucksack. And, and I would only unfold it in a combat zone. So it, it's been unfolded on the tops of mountains in Afghanistan, uh, on top of the rubble of Saddam Hussein's palaces, on top of the city of Fallujah, uh, September 11th, 2005. It did not get unfolded uh, in Africa. Um, I was there in September of 2012 uh, when a consulate in Benghazi uh, came under attack and thought for sure that, um, that the elements on the continent of Africa would have been called to respond, and of course we weren't, so it was never unfolded there. When I got this job, my civilian job with the Center for Security Policy, uh, I began to recognize the fight is here. The fight is right here. And so whether it's the, the fight to secure our critical infrastructures like the grid, or it's the fight to, to secure our food, that fight is right here in America. And so uh, I keep that flag with me as a reminder um, that, the, that the fight's here and that we have to win it. That's fantastic.
0: You also had a quote from St. Augustine, tell us that.
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh, something that when we talk about um, different issues, particularly things like the electric grid and people realize how vulnerable we are and how little action has been taken, uh, they get angry. And and, you know, that that's actually okay, Right. Um, Because St. Augustine said that hope, hope has two beautiful daughters. Right. I have two beautiful daughters and two sons. Right. Um, Hope has two beautiful daughters anger and courage, anger at the way things are, and courage to to make sure that they don't remain that way. And so as people figure out how vulnerable we are and they get righteously angry about it, they just, they need to have the courage to take action. And when they do, it gives people hope. Well, you know, you're a man of courage. Thank you, Tommy Waller, for what you've done.
0: Food security is a big topic and it's nothing we can cover in detail. That's why we produce an economic battle plan. There will be one for this episode. Beyond that though, your financial advisor can help you with food as an investment and food security. So to get your economic battle plan, go to economicwarroom.com. To learn more about how your financial advisor can help us, go to nsic.org. Nominate your financial advisor to get our economic warroom training. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.